Okay. I'm going to talk about the three aspects of Buddhist wisdom today. A short overview. Uh, anicca, dukkha, anatta. So the first aspect of Buddhist wisdom, anicca, is impermanence. Everything changes, constant state of flux, just like the weather today. Sunny yesterday, rain today, Friday the sun comes back. One of the th aspects of Anicca for me is that it never stops. And anytime you do anything, it's always the first time. Which should make life a lot more interesting. It should never get boring. It just seems like you've done it before. Now there's, a, there's this thing called the moment, the present moment. And oftentimes the teachers will say, try to live in the present moment. But the problem with the present moment, it doesn't have a duration. How many moments can we put into a minute? Infinite. As many as you want. Because it lacks duration. It doesn't exist in time. So as we try to find that moment that we want to live in, all we see is the flow. And sometimes we try to put our foot in the flow, but we can't put the same foot in the flow twice. And we can't even put the same foot in the flow once. It just doesn't work. So what are we to do? Don't consider anything to be an event. Consider everything to be a process. And you're part of it. And that means that we need to be aware and engaged. Because we can't predict what's going to happen next. We like to think we can, but we can't. Because in each moment, which doesn't exist in time, the conditions have completely changed. Everything is new and different. So, the first aspect of Buddhist wisdom. Everything changes, all the time. The second aspect of Buddhist wisdom is something you've heard before, especially if you've heard Dharma talks, that life can get pretty uncomfortable. We like to call it suffering. But sometimes it's just this little feeling of, you know, it could be better. I thought the party was going to be great, and it turned out not to be so good. I bought the Kia car, and now I understand that everybody can steal it because there's YouTube videos on how to do it. And it sort of bums me out. Or, you know, I, I went on vacation to the Bahamas, and the incident of uh, crime is skyrocketing. So they tell you to be very careful if you go to the Bahamas because they could steal all your money. And you go, wow, how can life be like this? You know, when we were all growing up, everybody told us how nice life would be. And all we had to do was work hard, get a good education, find a partner, get a career, and we would have a wonderful life. In California, we have 170,000 homeless people. 
In LA County, we have 70,000 homeless people. When you talk about suffering, they could probably give us an idea of what it's like to suffer on a daily basis, especially in the cold and the rain. Now, for a long time, I was going to Paulus Verdes High School, and I was giving talks in a comparative religions class. And I thought to myself, you know, this is going to be a hard sell, because I surveyed the parking lot, and I saw the BMWs, and I saw the Mercedes, high school. I'm going, how can I get them involved in the idea that life is ultimately unsatisfactory? And then it dawned on me, because the day before, they had a football game, and their football team lost. So when I talked about suffering, I talked about their football team losing the game. And they went, oh man, life is not good. We work so hard to have a great team, and they're never the best. They're good, oftentimes good enough, but it's hard to be the best because everything changes. Good one day, not so good the next. Okay, number three, anatta. This one is mind-blowing. This one really requires you to think in both a mental and intuitive way. So what are we going to talk about? Number one, the Buddha said, now he was in India, Nepal, 2,600 years ago, the Buddha said, we do not have a soul. That just freaks everybody out. So I, as I give the talk in various environments, tell people, if they want to have a soul, it's fine. Don't worry about that. You know? But if you have a feeling that you may not have a soul, or there may not be anything independent, that exists apart from you, or apart from circumstances, that's okay too. In the late 70s, early 80s, when I came to Buddhism, they were saying, we do not have a self. It's an illusion, in the same way we do not have a soul. That has changed. Nobody says we don't have a self anymore. The 80s and the scholarship of the 80s changed everything. So what do they say now? They say, you are not the self. You have one. It's your gift of human birth. And it's so useful to have a self because the world we live in is really complicated. And we need to be separate from it. And the idea of having a self is it separates us from what we're doing and what we're experiencing. So, we are never the door. We can't be the door. If you want to be one with the door, you'll never leave this room. We need to be separate from the door so we can use it to egress and exit. Okay, there we go. We need to be separate from the car. So we get into the car, which is not us, we may own it, we may think we own it, we have a receipt, we pay the taxes, but we get into the car and we can drive it because we are not the car. 
we can see the stoplight because we are not the stoplight. Okay, so we're separate in a self way. We also have a selfless way as well. And that's sort of the intuitive part of it. And this is the fun part because there's, there's a video, actually it's a three-part video on PBS. And I believe the person in the video is, his name is Alan Lightman. Now I'm not 100% sure, but that rings true in my memory today. He has this three-part series on spirituality and science. Okay? Now he's a physicist, he's also an author of a few books, and, and he's brilliant, but not in an overly aggressive way. He's, he's, he's very pleasant to listen to, and he just sort of shares with you what he's come to understand and what he's come to experience. Now, his family have a lake island, and on the lake island they have a family house. And it's been in the family for a long time, and every once in a while Alan will go out to the lake house to relax, to write, to think. So one night, it was a starry night as well, he's in his boat, and he's going towards the lake island. And he stops. He takes a moment, and he literally lays down in the boat and looks at the stars in the sky. And he had an enlightenment experience that everything around him merged into a wholeness. There, was, there wasn't any more separation. He couldn't see the separation, and he couldn't be the separation. He was part of everything, and everything was part of him. Since that experience, he hasn't shut up about it. It blows his mind, and he'll talk about it. The three-part series is about the spirituality of the wholeness and science. He's a physicist. He believes in molecules and atoms and figures that's how things work and that's how things change. And yet, there's this intuitive knowing that he has that, that stimulated his spirituality. Leonardo da Vinci said one time, try to see that all things are connected. You go, wow, all things are connected. Alan Lightman, at the third part of the series, in the end of the series, he was asked about meaning. What does it all mean? What does it all mean, he, asked, he was asked. He said, it's connected. Whoa. The Buddha said, all things are interdependent and interconnected. And that was part of anatta, but in Mahayana Buddhism, we call it shunyata. Shunyata means emptiness. All things are empty. And the question is, empty of what? And the answer is, empty of independent existence. Nothing exists separately at the ultimate level of reality. Everything is interconnected 
and interdependent. And you go, wow, all that came from that one word, anatta, that the Buddha said we don't have a soul and now we don't have a self and now we do have a self but we're not the self and, and all things are connected and interdependent and that's the meaning. Yeah, and yeah, that's part of the meaning. That's a big part of the meaning. So what happens? What happens when you lay down in your boat and look at the sky and have that experience of wholeness with everything and everyone? In the Mahayana tradition, we would say that the bodhisattva ideal arises in your consciousness. Now, what that means, the bodhisattva, okay, this is someone, man or woman, who has chosen to be of service to all humankind and things alive until each and every one has ended their suffering. And once the suffering has been annihilated, then they will accept their nirvana and never have to suffer again. So why would this arise with this interdependence and interconnectedness, this experience? Why would that make you so much different than you were before? Alan Lightman talks about a story, uh, uh, an experience in Cambodia. He was in Cambodia. I don't remember why he was in Cambodia. And he was visiting a school. And in the school, they had both men and women. But the women didn't have a dormitory. The women had no place to live while they were going to school. So they literally lived under the school, not in a basement but literally under the school, in the dirt. And then each day they'd take their classes and then they'd go back under the school. And I'm going, man. So Alan Lightman said, I'm gonna raise some money and we're gonna build a dormitory for the girls. So they'll have their own place to live so they can study. And he did. And all the boys now are envious because the girls have a brand new dormitory. So why would he have done that? I said to myself. Could that have come from that experience on the lake? And he realized the wholeness of his existence. And what would happen to you if you had that experience as well? Would you be able to look at the homeless person on the corner and not realize that a part of you was now homeless because of them. Could you go into a hospital and see dying people and not realize that part of their death was happening to you because you're all interconnected and interdependent? Could you look at the world in the same way? Could you actually go to Hawaii and have a vacation and not be concerned about all the people getting sunburned on the beach. It's going to change the way you relate to the world around you because now you have become the world. And so service to community 
and service to fellow beings becomes predominant, becomes numero uno, becomes what you do. And you can never put your head in the sand or turn away. There's no place to hide once you've had this experience. So that would be the bodhisattva who've had that experience and now their life has changed forever and we could say their lives have changed forever because every time they are reborn they do the same thing over and over again they if they were offered the chance for nirvana they wouldn't take it because the work isn't done yet there are more people suffering today than ever before because we have eight billion people and we have a variety of wars going on right now and we have a lot of unrest in our society and culture and I blame the pandemic for that so it's just everybody is sort of uptight and want to be separate and the reality is there's no place to stand that doesn't change and there's no one to stand there in the first place because we are not who we think we are. We have never been an event. We have always been a process. And so that's what we deal with when we look at the three aspects of Buddhist wisdom. We look at the ever-changing reality that doesn't stop. We look at the suffering that's ever-present and we reflect on ourselves as not being who we think we are and we find that there's much to do and little time to do it in until the next rebirth calls to us saying it's time to go but you'll be back I'm going to stop there and see if anybody has comments or questions about what I've said or if anybody understands what I said, which would be another part of it. Any hands going up? Yes, sir. Very interesting. Uh, as I hear you talk, so if we're not the self and we don't have a soul, then what are we? We are a process. We are name and form. The Buddha uh, said, uh, that he never spoke about a person as only one thing. Name and form, the five aggregates, the 32 parts of the body, were always more than one. In 2024, you can identify a human being if they pick the three pictures with a stoplight. You know, those security things, yeah. They're even trying to figure out what humans are, so, you know. I am not a robot. These are the three stoplights. So we are many things all happening at once, all interwoven, all interconnected. But it turns out we're never simply one thing. And that's why the Buddha said we are not the one soul. We are not, we are not the one self. Though we have a self, and the self is our tool that we use to live, but, but it's not who we really are. It's, it's a convenient way of looking at the world that enables us to use the world 
and, and change the world. Is that helpful? Yes. Thank you very much. Um, what do you think is the best way to develop that intuitive view? How did you do that? Is, is it meditation? What's the best way to develop our intuition? Yeah, it's, it's, it's ironic. I posted something today on my Facebook page. Please feel free to go and take a look. Albert Einstein said uh, something about the intuition and, and, the, and the regular consciousness, that, that the intuition is a gift. And a regular consciousness, the, the, the brain and the way we look at the world intellectually, is something we've acquired and worked for. So we've made that now more important than the intuition. And, and I have found that the intuition can be stimulated and grown in meditation practice. Because the idea in some forms of meditation, there are 44 different kinds of meditation, but in some forms of meditation, the idea is to give the self a rest and to simply focus on the object of meditation which would be, in some cases, the sensation of breath. So as we focus on the sensation of breath and go deeper and deeper into that sensation, as it turns out, the sensation of breath is a present moment experience, the intellect tends to get bored because it's, you're not, it's not being asked to do anything, add, subtract, recite words, and, and so it sort of falls away. It doesn't go away, but it sort of falls back. And, and now this object, this sensation of breath, it's just is all you're concerned about. The only thing, your whole life, your whole world, the whole universe is just the breath going out and coming in, going out and coming in. And, and that gives the intuition a chance to be exercised because it's not fighting against the intellectual. The intellectual has just sort of gone to the side, it's relaxing, and now the intuition can do that. Now, you go into certain situations, the intuition is absolutely no good at all. It doesn't work. So I'm going to be, uh, I've got a birthday coming up in April, and I have to get my driver's license renewed. And they said, be sure and, and go online, we've got some free information on, on the tests you'll be taking. And so, as I go into the DMV, which is always an interesting experience, I'm going to have to ramp up my intellect. I'm going to have to look at those questions and have answers. So the intuition would give me a chance to, to take in the whole experience. But the intellect gives me a chance to take in the important part of the experience, which is the test. So it's that kind of thing. So. I would recommend intuition uh, being exercised through meditation, but you know you can also do it in long walks on the beach, or maybe a hike in the mountains, where where you don't have to think about stuff as much, and the environment helps you come to that experience of wholeness, and that and that. So, and then if you're lucky enough and do it long enough you'll have this balance. You have intuition, you'll have intellect, and they'll balance each other, and you won't have the intellect being the master any longer. 
they'll, they will share that experience, the intuition and the intellect. So, is that helpful? Okay. Can I ask one? Okay, many as you want. Yeah. What is that like? So you develop that, I assume. What does that feel like? Can you describe it? Being able to see the duality? Hmm. What does that feel like? Yeah, no, I, um, I can give you an example. And the example happens at 4.30 in the morning. I am up having my first cup of coffee. Thomas the cat is sitting over here. I fire up the laptop. I finally get to my Facebook page. It's time to post, I say. Another day of posting. So I pick the picture. I run the picture through the Photoshop elements, not the, it's the standalone, it's the cheap version. I run it through Photoshop elements, and then I pick a quote. And I like quotes. Quotes are not meant to be a conversation, they are meant to be a way of looking at something differently. Okay, so I picked a quote. And I might have 20 quotes that would go with the picture. And I'm going, and all of a sudden, I have a feeling. I have a feeling when that quote aligns with the picture. That's how I know. It's not intellectual, but it's a feeling. So when you go around and you have these feelings, you know, and you can't put them into any intellectual model, you know, why do I feel this way about that? Sometimes that's the intuition working for you. And sometimes it's a good direction to go in, and other times we can mix the intuition with emotion and the emotion doesn't necessarily take it to the best place sometimes but the intuition can and so it's it's learning how to do that so if you're on Facebook now you have a practice pick the quote and the picture and wait for the feeling you know thanks for the question Yes, hi. Um, how do you be, uh, avoid feeling, or I don't know if it's avoid, but how, because it seems like if you are always seeing, seeing the suffering everywhere, that's very overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. So, what do you do? So, how do you prevent yourself from suffering when you see all the suffering around you? Yeah, and, and it, it is true, but it seems to be sort of a, a natural state of affairs in the world. Now, suffering is intellectual. Suffering is in your head. Suffering is not in the world. It doesn't have a color. It doesn't have a place that it lives. It does, it's not tall and small. Suffering happens inside our head, okay? And generally, suffering happens because of desire. Desire creates a lot of suffering for us. Also, wanting things to be different than they are, that creates a lot of suffering for us. So what we need to do is find a way to come to a place of acceptance with the suffering. And not accepting it as good or bad, 
not accepting it as the way it has to be, but accepting it and realizing that it does exist. So for instance, you see somebody who is hungry, and because they're hungry, they are suffering. And you say, I hate to see them suffering, I'm going to get them a little food. And that will help them suffer less, and it will help me suffer less as well. So the idea in, in the suffering thing is realizing that it's there, it's going to be there, it's never not there, but the more we come to acceptance with the fact that that's what we're working with, then perhaps we can come up with some solutions for ourselves and others. So suffering is a big deal. It's the only thing Buddhism talks about. Literally, Buddhism talks about two things, why we suffer and how to end the suffering. That's all we ever talk about. And the Buddha gave books and books of presentations and talks and, and all sorts of things. Depending on who he was talking to, he, he changed it a bit, as I do if I go to high school or I go to a church or I go to a Dharma center. I change my talk. But saying the same thing in a thousand different ways, and then eventually somebody hears it. And they go, wow, yeah, suffering. Now, can we end our suffering in this lifetime? Yes, we can. But it doesn't mean we stop helping others who are suffering. It just means that we are no longer suffering. Is the Bodhisattva suffering? Yeah, the Bodhisattva is suffering because the Bodhisattva is interconnected and interdependent with all beings and their suffering is the Bodhisattva's suffering. But on the other side of the coin, their happiness and joy and success is also part of the Bodhisattva. So you've got those both, those both, both sides of the coin. We've got the suffering and the non-suffering. Okay? And what nirvana turns out to be is the coin itself, the edge of the coin, neither one side or the other. So it's not that you stop suffering, it's not that you are suffering, but you, suffering doesn't exist for you any longer. Does that make sense? suffering at exactly the same time because you become the coin which is a trippy way of looking at it I think Ram Dass would appreciate that and maybe Timothy Leary but it's like yeah that's it's the coin so the idea is not to be one side or the other the idea is to be the coin and it takes a lifetime and maybe more but worth the effort and along the way you're going to suffer less and have more joy and happiness and along the way, you'll be able to help other people as well. So that's good. Uh, yesterday, I'm, I'm walking, I was at Leisure World yesterday, giving a talk. I give this talk on the first Saturday of every month at Leisure World. And, and uh, we're all around the same age. You have to be 55 and over to live there. So we're all about the same age. And it's, and it's, it's fun for me to be with my peer group. And great attitude, and, and they're enjoying life as much as they can. And so I'm walking to the parking lot, and there's 12 or 14 Vietnamese people that are standing by their cars. And what they do, apparently, is go out and get food, and then they share the food. Okay. So I'm wearing my robes, and, and one of the Vietnamese women sees me, the big white guy. 
And going, wow, okay. So I'm going to the car, and she comes over and says, are you a monk? I say, yeah, yeah. And I said, yeah, I, I, you know, Thich Tianan started the center, and a Vietnamese monk, and uh, yeah, and so, and so, so we have a little talk. And then I notice in her hand, she has a crumpled $20 bill. And she says, I want to give this to you. I said, oh, that is so nice, thank you. I want you to do something good. I thought, that is so perfect. So I went out and bought some cat food. You know, do something good. But that's the deal. That's our, our job in life, ultimately, is to do something good. 